Okay, well, every blessing to you all, and welcome back to my walking, talking pulpit. I'm currently at the end of a very steep hill, so forgive me if I'm somewhat out of breath. In fact, just walked past a house which burnt down maybe two years ago or thereabouts and killed some of its occupants. I'm not sure what the story was, whether it was arson or not. I'm not sure what the investigation concluded but my overall thought on that awful situation was were they saved were they born again there's one thing that continues to concern me is how glib people can be towards the next life many people think it's all about the here and now and i can appreciate that i wasn't always saved but of course, when you get saved, you realize that time is very precious. That this is very much stage one, if you will, or part one, if you will. This life is very brief. You hear one moment and you go on the next. When I look back over my life, I sometimes think, where have the years gone? But as I pound the streets, uh, trying to stay in shape, and sharing my thoughts with you all. Every so often my eyes wander. I look at people as they drive past or walk past. And I guess if I was to survey maybe 100 drivers and ask those drivers what they thought I was talking about, I guess probably 99% would have no idea. They'd probably say, well, he's talking to a friend, perhaps, or he's talking to a relative, perhaps. But 99% would have no idea in the world what I'm talking about. And I'm going to call this message zombies, I think. Because the truth of the matter is this, that until you are saved, and very few are, and very few will ever get saved, what we believe as Bible believers and what we say as Bible believers goes right over the heads of unsaved people they're like zombies very much going about their own business trying to live their lives reach their goals which is understandable that was me and probably you before i got saved and before you got saved and yet if you could just stop people and slow them down and say listen you hear one moment and you're gone the next and when you die you're dead a long time you don't uh, sleep the big sleep. You don't just do your own thing. When you die, if you're lost, you're going to be alive forever somewhere. And that somewhere, of course, is hell. And it was that uh, reality, it was that awful uh, fact that motivated some of the greats from around the time of the Reformation up until probably the end of the Philadelphia church. Now most professional Christians are so spoilt, so caught up with their own lives that they have no interest to try and get a legacy, to try and speak to people. I've also realised over the years since I've been saved that for most of the people that I speak to, they have no interest uh, in being saved or receiving this great message. And that's another problem which I think people need to uh, appreciate, try and take on board. 
don't take it personally if you are trying to reach people and are being pushed back that's kind of normal and that's why I made the case during my loneliness message that for those that consider going into the voluntary sector could be a soup kitchen it could be anything or anywhere not to expect too much not to expect instant results on top of that not to take it personally when people turn down the good news if you are a bible reader you know that most of the old testament prophets were rejected and ridiculed as we go into the new testament it becomes a reoccurring theme the lord and the apostles were very much rejected and ridiculed one of the biggest problems that i think the early church had when they came into contact with the high priests and those from the world of academia were how they were not of the same calibre. They weren't educated. They hadn't been to Oxford or Cambridge or Yale or Harvard. They were just, for the most part, lower class uh, or lower middle class self-employed fishermen. And the thought of fishermen lecturing or articulating the plan of salvation to academics was somewhat of a joke. And when the Lord arrived, one of the first things he said over in uh, Matthew chapter 4 was to repent, change your mind, line up with the scripture, line up with his message to get right with Almighty God. And that also went over people's heads. They looked at him like he was a moron. They thought to themselves, who does this man think he is? He's not one of us. We know his mother, we know his stepfather. He hasn't been to Jerusalem High. He hasn't got a PhD or a BA, and they ridiculed him. They would also attack his virgin birth. They made that revolting remark about how they weren't born in fornication, how they had one father who was Abraham, a disgusting remark to insinuate that somehow Mary was a loose woman, that she had perhaps slept around, which of course was a blasphemous remark to make also very foolish and hurtful remark to make and I recall when I first got saved speaking to friends and family and work colleagues and just everyday people trying to uh, share what I knew with them hoping they would receive it and grab it with both hands just embrace it and rejoice and I learnt pretty early on that they weren't interested. For the most part, they were content doing their own thing. They were very much living in the present, which again, I can and did understand. I appreciate that kind of mentality. And yet, as I was growing up, a couple of people I knew died. One was a friend, one was a work colleague. And looking back now, I had no idea what happens uh, when a person dies i was completely ignorant to what takes place the moment somebody departs from this earth all the years of going to church and serving mass and speaking to friends and others that went through the same system in reality i think we were very much humanist we thought that somehow the lord probably owed us heaven that somehow uh, 
when we arrived in eternity, he would just wave us all in. Such a foolish thought, not to mention an offensive thought. But again, you see, growing up as a non-Bible believer, a non-Bible reader, I had no idea what to really uh, compare my thoughts with. The priests never really preached the gospel. I don't think all the years of being a Catholic, going to Catholic schools and serving mass and sitting down with priests growing up, never once did I hear them preach the gospel or speak about hell or repentance. And that's the truth. I was very much left to my own devices. In fact, I can remember speaking to a cardinal, a guy called uh, Tom Winning, Cardinal of Glasgow. And we got some photographs of him on our website. And he came down to our church to be a speaker, or be the speaker. Patrick had organized an annual event, something he'd done for many years, leading up to his salvation. And we went down to pick up this Cardinal from Gatwick Airport, drove him to the nunnery, which was behind our church at the time. And he sat in the front, talking to me. I was driving, he was in the passenger seat. And I got on pretty well with him. Nice guy, laid back, a lot of uh, charisma. And at that time I was very much involved with my orchestra, recording and singing and rehearsing. And I thought to myself, on the final day, uh, before he went back to Scotland, I would give him one of my CDs that I'd made. And I gave it to him, and he thanked me for it. And he recognised some of the songs that I'd sung on this album. And he shook my hand. And again, we've got photographs of this on our website, if you want to see them. And you'd never want did he say to me, but James, the word of God says how the love of the world, how the pride of life, uh, the lust of the flesh is not of the Lord, how friendship with the world is enmity with the Lord. Never once, never once did he say this looks somewhat worldly. Never once did he say to me, but do you really know the Lord? I was very much left with the impression that what I had just given him what I just showed him, or has shown him, was acceptable, that it was okay. And yet, like I say, the Word of God does say clearly that, how the love of the flesh, or the pride of life, uh, things of the world are completely at enmity with Almighty God. I didn't get separation clear in my mind, or uh, abstaining from, this, uh, from the things of the world until I was saved. And that old cardinal pretty much left me as I was. Didn't speak to me about holiness. Didn't speak to me about how somebody who follows the Lord should live a certain way. I was left very much dangling, almost left in ignorance. I don't blame him overly for that. I wasn't a child at the time. And yet I like to think that had I been in his shoes, and somebody come into my uh, circle, or my life, or my world, that I would have said to such a person, you know, what's this about? Why are you singing these secular songs written by questionable uh, composers? 
people whose lives are very much at odds with scripture. He recognised many of the songs that I'd sung. I think in reality he too was very zombie-like, very much dead. Of course he was religious. I mean they call cardinals princes of the church and a cardinal in the Catholic Church is a very powerful person. And of course you know that every time a pope dies they have a conclave, a meeting, and all of the cardinals around the world are summoned to Rome for a lock-in. That's right, they lock them in. And they won't let them out until they have decided who the next pope is going to be. And you see all that smoke uh, billowing from St. Peter's Square. If it's black, it means they haven't got uh, a consensus. They haven't been able to decide who the new pope will be. But if it's white, they have come to the consensus. They've come to the decision who the next pope will be. That's great drama, by the way. But that's all it is, just drama. You can't duplicate an apostle. And they believe that the Pope of Rome is an apostle. They believe that he is a successor or the successor of St. Peter. But you can't duplicate an apostle. An apostle, according to Acts chapter one, was an eyewitness of the Lord's ministry. He was somebody that knew the Lord. And yes, of course, he was a man, not a woman. So when you come into contact with female apostles, quote unquote, you're dealing with hucksters, charlatans, deceivers, and of course feminists as well. The apostles were men. The apostles were Jews. The apostles could do signs and miracles. The next time you come into contact with a Catholic bishop or a cardinal, try him out. Ask him if he can do miracles. Tell him that where you live there are sick children in hospitals or dying children in hospices and would he be prepared to go down and lay his hands on those sick children in the uk we have what's called the national health service it is grossly uh overworked heavily in debt i think it employs half a million people so that's the biggest employer in the uk and i think because i may be wrong that the taxpayer pays something on the lines of 200 billion or 300 billion every year to keep it afloat. I think from memory, it is the most expensive department in Whitehall and it's been abused over the years. And you've got people receiving sex changes now and breast implants and who knows what else. When it was set up after World War II, it was set up to give you the basics. And since 1945, it has just spiraled out of control. But here's the thing, if you believe that the Jewish apostolic sign gifts are for today, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, uh, fundamentalist, Greek or Russian Orthodox, why not go down to your local hospital and start laying hands on sick people, men or women, boys or girls, young or old, makes no difference. I tell you something, if you can start to clear the backlog, if you're able to heal those people, if you're able to uh, take some of the burden off those doctors and nurses who are working flat out. Then I tell you something, if you're able to do that, you'll be a great hero and it will save the UK taxpayer a lot of money. Never mind going to church buildings or having these good uh, crusades, come on down and meet evangelists such and such. Take what you've got onto the street. That's the first challenge. Second challenge. 
take it into the local hospitals. Third challenge, according to scripture, everyone who you come into contact with and pray over and attempt to heal will be healed. There isn't one account anywhere in scripture where somebody came into contact with the Lord or one of his apostles or disciples wanting to be healed and wasn't healed. Now it is fair to say that there is one account which I guess may be cited to rebut what I've just said concerning the unclean spirit that was afflicting a young child. And the parent says to the Lord, I think it was a man from memory, that the apostles had been unable to set his child free of that unclean spirit. And he says, well, the reason for that was due to a lack of faith. Now, the actual situation itself could have been dealt with just like that. But you see, the apostles were carnal. The apostles lacked the faith. It wasn't the Holy Ghost's fault. And that's a good picture of a saved party having two natures. And therefore, because they lacked the faith, not the ability, but because they lacked the faith, Christ had to step in and deal with that situation. So you see, the emphasis there wasn't on the recipient being healed. It was on the apostles, those that had been anointed to go in and heal that individual. There's also another account which may get cited to rebut what I'm saying today when the Lord came into contact with a blind man and he says uh, Ephrathah and the man initially says how he sees men as trees and the Lord returns to that individual and concludes the healing. That too was done to rebuke the unbelief that the apostles were once again demonstrating. Apart from those two situations, and also there's one account over in uh, Matthew chapter, I think it's 12 going into 13, or 13 going into 14, how it speaks about they wouldn't come to the Lord to be healed, and how it grieved him. Again, the emphasis, uh, or the claim is put on the recipient's lack of faith, not the Lord's inability or the apostles to heal, apart from those scriptures which are given to you, everyone who came into contact with the Lord or the apostles expecting to be healed, got healed, especially from Acts chapter one onwards. Throughout the gospels, you've got the Lord very much teaching his apostles on the job, very much explaining to them how the Lord works. And he was very patient with them, much like a parent is with their child, and they made many mistakes, they stumbled. John, the son of Zebedee and his brother, were referred to as the sons of thunder. And on one occasion they went into a Samaritan village, expecting to be greatly received, hoping that they'd all fall over themselves to welcome the Lord, only to discover that they weren't interested in the Lord. Not much has changed. And those Samaritans were very much like zombies completely dead from the neck up. They had no interest in the things of the Lord. And they wanted to call fire down from heaven, like Elijah had done back in 1 Kings. And the Lord had to rebuke the sons of Zebedee. And he said that the Son of Man hadn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save men's lives. 
which is a good rebuke against John Calvin's police state or the Pope's so-called theocracy or the Mormons' uh, bloodbath known as uh, September Dawn, the Meadowland Massacre from memory around 1870, but you can Google it, it might be slightly off. And he said, listen, I haven't come to force people to believe. I'm very much a gentleman. I stand outside and I knock at the door of your heart. Revelation chapter three. If any man hears my voice, if any man hears my knock, if any man knows that I'm outside knocking at your heart, and yes, that scripture doctrine is aimed at an apostate church, and yet spiritually we can use that uh, to present the gospel. Many evangelists have done that over the years to show that Christ is patiently waiting for sinners to receive him. And he won't force himself on anybody. And yet, when you look at Islam, how violent they are, killing men and women and children, or the Catholic Church, over centuries, killing many people. In fact, the Catholic Church, during the Crusades and the Inquisition, were even known to kill their own people. And I'm speaking about priests and nuns. Hard to believe, isn't it? It wasn't just Protestants they were looking for, or Bible believers, to torture and kill. They also came across some priests and some nuns who had fallen foul of that system. And they got uh, terribly tortured. They were treated quite uh, appallingly. And some lost their lives. Some were murdered by their own church. And yet Christ would say, listen, that's not what this is about. Your job was to go into the world and preach the gospel. Our job is to go into the world and preach the gospel. We don't force our beliefs in anybody. The apostles didn't uh, stand outside places of worship, for example, and preach the gospel. They were very selective as to where they went. They weren't rabble-rousers. They weren't so-called freedom fighters. They weren't terrorists. They were godly men, holy men. And they waited patiently. And yes, Paul would meet people over in Acts the Apostles in the marketplace to preach the gospel. But of course, those people have been invited by the Apostle Paul to hear the truth. But I'm not against, necessarily, uh, people not standing outside public places. Of course, I'm not against that. But I'm simply trying to make the point that salvation is very much a supernatural thing. All we do, those of us which are saved, especially brothers, is open our mouths and preach the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And yet most people are zombies. Most people got no idea what we are talking about. And that's why as I walk down my street, nearly home, and my eye occasionally will uh, drift to <laughs> some of the drivers as they go past me, or people at the bus stop waiting for their bus. They got no idea what I'm talking about. And if I was to attempt to articulate what I'm talking about, they've still got no idea or no interest. And I speak from experience. And in spite of all that, we continue as safe people to go on to preach the gospel. We don't uh, sit back. We don't become indifferent. There's a funny thing. Just walked past an elderly lady who laughed at me, which goes to prove my point that we are somewhat of a joke to the world. And that's why Paul told you in 1 Corinthians how Almighty God has chosen the base things of the world to confound the wise. He chose the apostles and the prophets who for the most part were 
uneducated individuals, not from uh, the world of academia, just ordinary people from ordinary backgrounds. And when the great white throne comes around and the apostles are standing next to the Lord, along with the Old Testament prophets, along with the church, we're going to see many people that we've spoken to, directly and indirectly, that will be summoned up, called to give an account of themselves. And I'll tell you something, they won't be laughing then. They will not be laughing then whatsoever. But I'll say this one more time, because I think it's important to, that what we don't want to do is take indifference, rejection, or mocking personally. You see, when you got saved, you were very much earmarked, predestinated to be a peculiar person, a very unusual person. And if you're able to fit in all of the time with unsaved people, something's wrong. You should be an awful odour when you are in the presence of them. They should look at you and think to themselves that you're different to them. You should be a rebuke to them. And if you're not, something's wrong. Maybe you need to examine yourself. Maybe you've gone native, as I say, over in the army, when soldiers uh, desert and do their own thing. But I'm gonna call this message zombie or zombies and make the point one final time that what we believe is not only foolishness, not only completely at odds, what people I uh, think the word of God is all about, or what the Lord's all about, but it goes right over their heads. And this goes back to what our Calvinist friends refer to as being total inability, total depravity. Now it is true that before you are saved, if you are saved, that you are dead in your sins, very much a walking corpse. Your spirit is dead. You're like a flat football. That doesn't mean you don't know the difference between right and wrong, but it does mean that you can't have any fellowship, you can't have any communion or any uh, relations with the Lord until you are born again. And that's why we say to people, you must be born again. Because if you're not born again, you're lost. On top of that, nothing you say or do makes any difference as far as the Lord is concerned, which means this, that he has no interest in you. He has no desire to really know you until you are born again, until you have received the Son as your own Saviour. Yes, it's true, you may get the occasional prayer answered. I won't rule that out. And yes, it's true that there may be times where you have called out to him before you were saved to help you. And he's come through for you. That is spoken about over in Matthew chapter 5, how uh, he allows the sun to come up on the just and the unjust, how he feeds all of nature, that's true. But to really abide in him, to have a relationship with him, to have your prayers answered, was very clearly uh, articulated over in John chapter 15, how you are to abide in the vine. Of course, you can't abide in the vine until you're born again. Until you're born again, you are cut off. You are the living dead, very much on your way to hell. What a terrifying thought. One second from death, one moment from everlasting hell. And that's just uh, all there is to it. I don't say that to get some kind of a kick. 
I say that because it's the truth. And that's what motivated some of the greats like Moody and William Carey and uh, Hutton Taylor to travel land and sea to preach the gospel. In fact, I'll give you one quick story and I'll close. There was an event that took place around the 19th century when uh, D.L. Moody, the great preacher from Chicago, was preaching. And apparently Moody was a very fast talker, as I am. And he spoke so fast that he needed two stenographers to keep up with him. And that shows you how fast he must have been able to speak. Now I can talk fast, and I can speak fast. Uh, and that's not a bad thing, of course. And yet on one occasion, old Moody was really talking fast. And somebody had been uh, sitting in the pews watching him. And when that meeting finished, he ran up to Moody and he said to him, hey, I counted over 90 grammatical errors that came from your mouth. And old Moody very quickly responded by saying, you see this tongue? And he shoved out his tongue in this guy's face. And this man said, yep. And he said, this tongue is for the glory of God. What's your tongue being used for? And that's a pretty good thing to say. It's also a very honest thing to say. That guy was more interested in criticizing Moody because as far as he was concerned, Moody was a fool. But the truth of the matter is, he was the fool. He was a zombie. And that's why when he came up against Moody, the Holy Ghost responded in such a way. Speaking through Moody, making it clear again that the Lord has chosen the foolish things of the world. Someone like Moody, someone like myself, if you're saved, to confound the wise, to silence the PhDs, the BAs, the THDs, like the apostles did, like the prophets did, like the Lord did. And that's a good thing. It shows that man's ways are not the Lord's ways, and his ways are not our ways. And that also shows that doing gimmicks uh, like getting a bounty castle put into your church property, or by having your face painted, or doing some kind of gimmicky event to get people in, doesn't work. You want to get people saved? Preach the gospel. No more, no less. Just preach the gospel. And if they come and receive the message, praise the Lord. If they don't, that's their loss. And I'll say one last time that when those people look at you like you're a fool, rejoice. Be thankful. We're saved, we're kept saved. And if they don't want to be saved, that's up to them as well. That's their loss and they'll have to live with that. So I'm out of time and I will wish you every blessing, every happiness and joy, and I'll speak to you all soon. May Almighty God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.